Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 97th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great today, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I got to ask you. Yeah. What? <laughs> Did you happen to pick up any cleaning supplies last week? No. Uh, last week? On the way home? <laughs> yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm like remembering what i said last week yeah from that like yard sale or whatever you told us about last week uh i didn't actually go home that way so are you kidding me yeah sorry man you missed out on so many good deals i forgot if i would have driven past it i would have remembered that i needed to stop and uh peruse their wares but missed out (laughs) and it wasn't there this week that i noticed but i could have been not paying attention uh, if you're confused by that, you'll just have to go listen to last week's episode. Uh, Kyle, on this week's episode, we're going to do something fun, but maybe depressing. Definitely a little bit of both. We're going to be doing a Barry Odom era retrospective. What went wrong, the highs, the lows, and uh, how we ended up where we are, theoretically, about to see the first season of a new head coach in Eli Drinkwitz. I sure hope so. Um, yeah, and I think we're going to – we could really, really talk about this for a long time because um, there was a lot to happen. It was a four-year span, a lot a lot of highs and a lot of lows, a lot of lows. So I think we're going to try and shoot for making this maybe a two-part series, kind of go over the first two years of the era this week um, and really kind of dive into uh, the happenings and then do uh, eight, 2018, 2019 next next week. That sounds perfect. Uh, before we do that, let me remind everyone, please go uh, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe over there if you could. Uh, if you want to be notified every time we post a video, you can hit the little bell and you'll be notified. On the podcast apps or services, if you could leave us a review or a rating, we'd really appreciate it. Um, if you have any friends or family members that are Mizzou fans that don't listen to us, feel free to spread the word. Now, let's talk about some news. Let me go to my news section of my paper here. Um, I don't know where you want to start with this week's news. Why don't we start it out with something that happened today, and that is Xavier Pinson giving everyone a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. Well, you gave me a heart attack. I'm sorry. I, I really I really was like just all been out of shape about this because I just saw the picture and it had like a you can go find it on Instagram but had like if you haven't already seen it um, his jersey with like a question mark on it and I'm like I mean it just looks like a exactly how you would imagine somebody transferring um, and I, I kind of already felt like we knew he was returning and I guess that it hadn't really been officially announced officially or official. officially officially announced or anything like that so um i just kind of assumed that was like that was already happening that that had been happening so the ship when it, had sailed yes and so when i saw that uh that question mark i was like okay so he's he's transferring um i guess it may have been a false alarm and Maybe. the caption was like uh yeah the caption was actually the most uh like terrifying thing about it it was like yeah. gotta do what's best for me yeah decisions or, yeah so i'm like okay well see ya but according to sources all the beat writers uh he has not entered the transfer portal and perhaps this is just him maybe hyping up his 
decision on whether to stay in the NBA draft or not. Um, players officially have until August 3rd to remove their name from the NBA draft and retain eligibility. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I think some of the some people on Twitter were thinking that he's done some things like this before, uh, but I definitely felt like this was the most cryptic of anything that we had seen from him so far. So, I mean, this was blatantly like... Yeah, almost. Him wearing a non-Mizzou jersey. Yeah, so. almost not cryptic in how... How blatant. Straightforward it seemed. I mean, yeah. like if you showed me that image in a vacuum, regardless of what player, what school he was associated with, I'd be like, oh, that probably means he's either committing mm-hmm. or, yeah, committing yeah. to a school, and we don't know which one yet. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, hopefully that's just him hyping up that, that announcement that he's returning to school. Uh, do you remember when Tyler Beatty did something like that? Whenever he yes. he just posted like a highlight tape or something. Yeah. What did what did he say? I can't remember, but it was like almost. It was certain. almost like reflecting back on his time at Mizzou. Oh, yeah, it said, thank you, Mizzou, or yeah. something like that. And like, it was like, oh no. <laughs> you guys know I was extra devastated about that. <laughs> um, but hopefully that was a Tyler Beatty thing with Xavier Penson, and he's going to be back, and we can all uh, go on with our lives and be happy. Yeah. And hopefully play basketball sometime. Yeah, watch that's, that's the other thing. Like, oh yeah, I hope they play the games. Yeah. Um, speaking of playing games, <laughs> I was about to do that, and I was like, "That's your, that's your job. I'll let you do it." <laughs> uh, man, fingers crossed. We're gonna have some football eventually. Uh, however, one league that's not gonna have football. Do they have football? I don't actually know. The Ivy League is not playing any fall sports. They are suspending all athletics until uh, January 1st at the earliest. Do Ivy League schools have football teams? That's an honest question. They don't for the next six months. <laughs> so it doesn't even, so doesn't even matter. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this seems, oh, man, this is, this is scary. The, yes, sir. One thing to note, uh, the Ivy League was the first league to cancel their uh, – conference basketball tournament i was literally about to say that yeah and what's scary about this is that uh, typically the, the people respect those people because uh, they're smart and they're trendsetters and that's what happened exactly with college basketball yeah they were the first ones to uh, to do that and everyone followed suit and i hope that's not the case uh, this time around but you know there's there's obviously uh some different situations on hand you know i, I definitely don't think the ivy league is as financially uh reliant upon their football program as a lot of other schools uh, pretty much every other conference is so i think you will see uh every other conference put up a much bigger fight as far as trying to do anything they can to keep the games going and we've already seen some of those measures that have uh that are being taken by the big 10 pac-12 and acc we can only assume the sec will follow suit mm-hmm. that'd be pretty crazy if they I mean, it'd just be pretty strange if they were the only conference to deviate from Mm -hmm. the Power Five. But um, I guess the Big 12 is still up in the air. But those three conferences decided they are only going to play conference games. I would say, if I was explaining to someone, they are going to play conference games at most. That's not how it's been worded in press releases or anything. But uh, Mm -hmm. best case scenario, conference games will be played. No non-conference games. And I, I really don't know what that means for the little guys. You know, there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of schools that depend on that paycheck that they get when they go play Missouri or you know a Power Five team. They um, so I, I don't I don't know what's going to happen for the, those small like FCS schools or even just lower Division One schools who get a paycheck when they go get destroyed by whoever because um, obviously that's not going to be happening. And I I guess that this is just supposed to limit travel um, and hopefully that this is not the first domino and more harsher restrictions to come. Yeah, and I guess yeah, travel's one thing. Um, just intermingling between conferences that will then um, have interactions with other conferences. I mean, I could see how it could spiral, I guess. And um, in theory, you could contain an outbreak within one conference. Creating bubbles. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you had an SEC team play a ACC team and then they played a Sunbelt team and then they played a MAC team, it could get spread around really fast mm-hmm. in theory. Jim Stark did an interview today. Um, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more in a second here. But one of the things that he did say when asked about the conference only schedule uh, was that the SEC has looked at that as a possibility, but is not there yet as far as, you know, turning to that. But I, again, like you said, would be really, really shocked if they didn't eventually get to that point. And I would assume it's probably in the next few days that they would announce something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, that's usually how these things go is once somebody does it, it, it all kind of falls, falls in line pretty quick. But does this mean that they're going to add more games, more conference games? Uh, will Missouri play more teams from the West that they wouldn't have played otherwise? I doubt it. Or they just play a nine-game schedule or whatever it is? Potentially. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. That's. I think that would be really cool. And uh, what if? Uh, and I don't think this would necessarily be a good thing for Missouri's win-loss uh ratio but what if they just what if every conference just played like a round robin and just had a true conference champion that way that would probably be really entertaining yeah yeah definitely um i wonder also scheduling wise what that will do for like home and homes and non-conference games that have been scheduled years in advance and yeah you know that just throws a wrench in things there's a possibility that they just scrap them completely but some games are contingent on playing at the other team's place next season or the year after mm-hmm. so it'd be really bad you know in a situation where missouri's getting the home game of a home and home they've already played the other one um just having to renegotiate all that would be a headache um i guess in theory you could just push everything back a year all non-conference schedule just gets shifted back one year mm-hmm. for everyone um you mentioned one possibility being and this seems like a pretty i don't know unlikely scenario that they would push the season back like many months um, into spring 2021 but then that creates an even weirder scheduling situation where what do you do with the next season and the following Mm -hmm. season yeah because then you'd basically have no off season yeah i I really don't think there's any way we just see this whole um season just get canceled and forgotten about yeah i think at the very 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 worst we'd just push it back to spring but i almost feel like it would be less of a nightmare to just cancel the season because of all of the all of the scheduling things that happen and what i mean what on earth do you do when you wrap up a season in april and you got to turn around and start fall camp in three months you know like i I mean is that what happens and 
or do they put just keep pushing it back a little bit i don't know so it's it's craziness there's so many things that can happen um i think jim sterk talked about 12 different models of of possibilities of what could happen this schedule ranging from this you know i'm sure what uh, a possibility they've considered is schedule scheduling being normal to season being pushed back to spring and everything in between with no fans or no tv or no all tv that seems like the weirdest one to me mm-hmm. because then what is the point at all yeah i mean just just for the competition of it like i guess to get just for the record the records and, yeah yeah that i that don't think anybody wants that to happen yeah yeah and just send even financially it doesn't make sense just send uh yeah yeah financially it makes no sense and like you're gonna just go play a national championship game just to have a national champion that year we'll just have to take their word for it that it happens yeah like if you're and if you're not televising it because you don't want the added um you know people interacting and traveling so then you'd end up with something where like only the local writers could like write about the game mm-hmm. yeah, we'd be going back to like 1980 where we like have to read about it in the newspaper tomorrow what? <laughs> you remember back in back in the 1980s when, when we didn't have tv <laughs> or radio sports weren't or... televised <laughs> i don't know i just said a random year but um yeah i definitely don't see that as, as something happening at all that just makes no sense at all yeah. um and really doesn't like save any risk whatsoever um with tv so yeah i'm just thinking about i'm thinking about 1980 no i'm thinking about like reading about the game in <laughs> online like maybe you could have a staff of like four where they like would take pictures maybe and then write about it maybe you could have mike kelly doing radio for the home games maybe and then i don't know you could broadcast the It'd be the home team's radio for like every game. I don't know. What if we as a society have reached the technological peak of our advances and now we're like seeing it like go back and decline. You just have to go in reverse. (laughs) Yeah, because of COVID nineteen, we've we've peaked as a as a society as far as technological advances go. Immediately go back to (laughs) nineteen eighty with no TVs. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, slippery slope back to (laughs) nineteen eighty. An alternate timeline, 1980, where we didn't have TVs or radio. <laughs> Only newspapers. Uh, okay. We got any other news? Uh, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, a recruiting note. Um, East St. Louis wide receiver, Keontes Lewis, was... I don't know if it was ever like announced that I'm going to be making my decision today, but I think a lot of people expected him to make a decision today, which he still could. And today being Thursday, July 9th. 9th. Um, Keontes Lewis was most likely going to Missouri. Even his coach said on an interview like a week ago that he's probably going to go to Missouri. Then all of a sudden this morning kind of started hearing some chatter about him maybe going elsewhere. I don't know if his decision timetable is is changing at all, but definitely not good news on that front. Uh, all of the crystal ball analysts are like, changing their pick from Missouri to UCLA. I have no idea what the correlation is between him and UCLA, but um, I'm afraid something has happened um, behind the scenes, maybe between him and the coaches that has made him make an impulsive change of mind. So uh, hopefully 
that's all just rumors. But um, obviously, whenever a lot of people start ch- changing their crystal balls, those guys those guys know what they're talking about. So probably more than just rumors. Yeah, I'm I'm a little nervous now. I thought we were maybe going to get the uh, East St. Louis trio. I thought we'd be making. Uh, I thought we'd be talking about a commitment today. To, in all honesty, um, probably not the case. I just hope that uh, we hold on to Tyler Macon at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be shocked if Tyler Macon went anywhere else. Yeah, we talked about him last week with his uh, Elite 11 performance. Um, everything has been positive mm-hmm. uh, surrounding his recruitment lately. But, yeah, I'm looking at uh, 24-7 Sports and Keontes Lewis uh, 100% to UCLA with a confidence rating, an average confidence rating of 9 out of 10, yeah. which is considered high confidence mm-hmm. yeah i would i would uh i would think that so that was pretty much all just happened in the last like 12 hours so we will see what happens there only three predict predictions but all to ucla all high confidence that's not good any other news all right then Let's set the table a bit for our Barry Odom era retrospective, a look in the past, a a trip down memory lane, all of those cliches. Um, Maybe let's talk about what Barry Odom was walking into when he took over um, as head coach of Missouri. Barry Odom had been the defensive coordinator at Memphis and then the defensive coordinator at Missouri and actually was coordinated one of the best defenses in recent memory in 2015. Um, that 2015 season was strange for multiple reasons. Um, right off the back of back-to-back SEC championship appearances, uh, 2015 was supposed to be another promising season. The defense was, we knew the defense was going to be excellent. Uh, the offense was returning. Matty Mock was returning, um, was supposed to return Doriel Green Beckham for his junior season. Uh, obviously, both of those did not turn out as expected. Um, Drew Locke ended up playing. There was a football team protest. Um, Gary Pinkle retired uh, due to health concerns. And it was just a very strange season, 2015. I remember going to see them play Florida at home, and they lost that game like 14 to 10 or something like that. Against a good Florida team. Yeah. Will Greer was their quarterback. And there were just a handful of games that season against decent competition that Missouri lost by like less than a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And I just remember looking at that and thinking, if this offense could have mustered seven more points per game, and a lot of times it was like five more points per game, they were winning like 10 games. Yeah. And and fighting for a third SEC East championship in a row. So, um, I don't know. If, we don't need to dwell on pre-Barry Odom too long, mm-hmm. but... Uh, yeah, he was coming into a weird, a weird situation, and... The defense, like you said, was fantastic and obviously led by him. Uh, recruiting was a little bit weird um, because I think that I will always look back at the end of Gary Pinkle's 
recruiting era is a little wonky because mm-hmm. you know they when they changed the sec they kind of mixed up their strategies kind of tried to recruit the south a little bit more and didn't do it very well and kind of abandoned texas which were a lot of our roots um were um and so kind of left the cupboard bare a little bit after those sec east championship years so um definitely barry odom walked into a, a very interesting situation and I think that because of a lot of the the issues that were happening, it was tough for Mac Rhodes, who was the current AD, who nobody really liked anyway, but um, it was probably going to be tough for him to go out and make a really, really impressive hire um, just because of some of the things that were happening. And the players really liked Barry Odom. Um, and, you know, maybe it was his, it seemed like it was his time. You know, he had done really, really well as a defensive coordinator at multiple stops at Missouri and Memphis, um, played at Missouri. It made sense at the time to hire Barry Odom, and honestly, I was really happy for him, and I was happy for the program. I remember when they announced him, and he, you know, here's your new Barry, football coach. Barry. Yeah, he walked in. I mean, pretty much, almost made me emotional. I was so excited for him and the, for the program, and unfortunately, that was one of the happiest moments of his entire time here. Yeah. So um, jumping back just a minute to recruiting, um, the 2012 recruiting class was headlined by DGB. Uh, easily top five according to ESPN number one player in the country Um, then 2013 and 14 they were 43rd nationally 14th in the SEC then 37th nationally 13th in the SEC 2015 an uptick because of Drew Locke and Terry Beckner Jr. 25th nationally 12th in the SEC but um Barry Odom's first season was 2016. So, um, you know, you need more time for that 2015 class to show what they're capable of, even though they were headlined by two um, future stars. Those 2013 and 14 classes, like you were alluding to, just weren't that special and didn't have, I don't know if it was, well, I guess we can jump into that. Uh, Some of the coaching changes right off the bat I think impacted things severely um immediately defensive line coach uh cool cool Legowski or something like that uh left mm-hmm. uh it wasn't really clear on why he left nobody ever said he was fired or I let think go he, I think he wanted to be the defensive coordinator and he was not named the defensive coordinator right right at least that's the rumor yeah that makes sense uh, so he went to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, DeMonte Cross was the defensive coordinator coming over from TCU. Man, that feels like ages ago. Yeah, but he was mm-hmm. the defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, Josh Heupel was brought in as the offensive coordinator. That wasn't too controversial. Um, it, it was fine. He mm-hmm. uh, formerly coached at Oklahoma with some success. Um, so. Another big thing that people will talk about and still talk about affecting the Missouri program is um, Pat Ivey being removed from uh, his position as strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. And and some people describe him as like team uh, psychiatrist almost, um, just the way he was able to help players mature and grow physically and mentally during their time at Missouri. And he was just kind of a glue guy that, provided so much um just so many things that you couldn't account for you know in the stat book basically Mm -hmm. yeah and 
with all of that stuff, as we kind of transitioned from 2015 into 2016, was the big defensive scheme change um, going from kind of the the let's meet at the quarterback kind of defensive line play. Ten years back, 4-3. Yeah, which worked very well because we had the personnel for it. Um, and I remember in the beginning of the 2016 season, uh, it was more of a different gap responsibilities, maybe more of a stop the run. Read and react. Maybe more of a NFL-style defense um, defensive line. And we had Charles Harris, who is like a first-team All-American pass rusher, um, who was probably a junior or senior at that time. And I remember him specifically being very outspoken and uh, not being happy with that change. And so you could see that reflected um, on the field. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the the philosophy for a while before then had been stop the run on the way to the quarterback. And it wasn't really – I mean, we had rush-ins who their job was just to get to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And everybody else could kind of clean it up if uh, if it, if the play broke down from a defensive point of view. So yeah, that was um, that was a big uh, sort of controversy early on. Uh, there was a lot of controversy on the defense right from the beginning, and uh, the defense took a step back that yeah. first season, and then switched back mid-season to a four-three. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna pull up the schedule here while we're talking about it. Um, yeah, that was. That was weird. Just like it was almost like, uh, you know, stick with your system here. You know, yeah. or if, if you're going to be recruiting guys for the system, like right. pick something. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, switching wonder, back to the four three mid season to maybe salvage a few wins. I don't know. That just I don't know. It just it's, seemed, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, it is, and you're probably feeling like every day is hell when every player you feel like hate you because you've made this change and it's affecting their careers and they're wanting to you know put up big numbers and go to the next level and all this stuff and that's that's what was happening we had like four nfl caliber defensive ends um michael sam coney ely shane ray marcus golden who are all putting up gaudy numbers getting sacks and all this stuff and then immediately we change to uh, a system that just doesn't put as much pressure on the quarterback and all that so obviously everybody's mad um, but yeah, do you do you try to salvage a few wins? But at the same time, you know, are you planning to go back to what the original plan was? Whenever you can try and recruit a few players that might fit your personnel better, your or might fit your your scheme a little bit yeah. better. And eventually, that ended up being the case. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that first year, it was a rocky start. Yeah, um, looking at the SP plus, uh, which is a, uh, I don't know advanced analytic number um the defense was 85th in the nation uh, in 2016 which is and i think it got worse in 2017 maybe yeah potentially uh no 61st 2017 so yeah and those are advanced metrics not necessarily uh highly weighted on points you know given up um, so this 2016 season, um, Drew Locke was going to be the guy. Uh, we knew that going into his sophomore season. And uh, I felt pretty good that the combination of him and Josh Heupel, they'd be able to at least put up some stats. And that's exactly what happened. It didn't necessarily translate to a lot of wins, but the offense put up numbers. Uh, Missouri was 4-8. and eight 
that season, two and six in conference play. Uh, we'll run down the schedule real quick and then uh, maybe talk about some highlights and lowlights from that season. Uh, started the season at West Virginia, lost 11 to 26. That was a weird game where it felt like it was winnable right up until the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they blew out Eastern Michigan 61 to 21, lost a one point game to Georgia, who was ranked 16th in the nation at the time. That was a heartbreaker. Yeah, we we were we were together for that game. We were actually together for the West Virginia game too. Mm-hmm. But that was that was a This was the start of the curse. It really was. Of us watching games together and them losing. Yeah, it really was, I think. And uh, th- this was devastating, but was also like encouraging at the same time, you know, like we played Georgia, who isn't quite the power they are now, but they were obviously the still the premier team of the SEC, uh, of the SEC East at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put up a really good fight, um, just weren't able to finish it. It came down to literally the last play, yeah. um, like a fourth and ten, and gave up a touchdown. Uh, and that's a ten-win West Virginia team, yeah, in uh, week one as well. Mm-hmm. So there were some encouraging things, and the the win over Eastern michigan was i mean that that was what we had wanted to see out of drew lock you know him just looking confident and having fun out there just throwing bombs and and that's a uh you know an actual fbs opponent yeah, yeah. uh who uh team that is not an fbs opponent is delaware state oh my god and missouri won that game 79 to zero they literally shortened the second half yep because it was so insane and it was like not a yeah, not There's an game, literally so. no point in playing that game, but uh, Delaware State was zero uh, and eleven. They were bad season. for an FCS team. Yeah. Uh, so after playing, after having a winnable game against West Virginia, blowing out two cupcakes, and playing right up until the last play against Georgia, I thought it would be a good idea to send a tweet that said, "This team's gonna." beat LSU because LSU was the next team on the schedule now we did not have a podcast back then and I don't have much of a Twitter following but I tweeted out that uh, Missouri is going to beat LSU on the road and you were attending that game and you said from what has now become the podcast Twitter account you quote tweeted me and said heard it here first Missouri went I to totally <laughs> forgot about all of that. Yeah. But now I remember that now that you said that. Missouri went to Baton Rouge and lost uh, 42 to 7. You are correct. I was at that game um, in Baton Rouge. Uh, I got to say, everything outside of the football game was incredible. Uh, the food, just the culture of Baton Rouge was so fun. I mean, that was such an incredible weekend. And uh, the stadium was just, I mean, it was a packed house, over a hundred thousand people for this game, and you know I can't even imagine what like an LSU versus Alabama game in that stadium would be like. I mean, you just can't really get much better than than LSU um, stadium. So um, it was a great weekend, but then the game happened, yeah, and it was over immediately. And I, if I am remem- remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure Fournette uh, kind of got hurt and didn't play much. Darius Geis runs for like 300 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Damian Williams, who now oh, played, who was, yeah. should have been the Super Bowl MVP, I agree with that. Also ran for like 200 yards in that game. Uh, also, one more weird note on that game was Ed Orgeron's first game because Les Miles had oh, just yeah. whatever happened to him got fired I, or whatever. I was like, I thought the pieces were lining up. That went into my tweet. 
Uh, Fournette was banged up. We mm-hmm. knew this. He only played like he only had like three or four rushes the whole game. And uh, um, Les Miles on, was on the hot seat. Now, when he when the coaching change actually happened, I thought, oh no. Yep. You don't want to be the first game after a coaching change. That's, yeah, they're gonna rally, around, especially yep. Coach O. Who yep, just, they did. Like they one hundred percent rallied, and uh, the only touchdown, which I thought this was so dumb, this made me so mad. The only touchdown of the whole game was this crazy elaborate trick play where like Wesley Leftwich or somebody threw like some reserve wide receiver who played quarterback in high school threw a touchdown to Drew Locke in like the corner of the end zone or something like that and he was wide open yeah. it was an amazing play it was like a guaranteed touchdown and it was in like yeah it was a guaranteed touchdown and it was like in the fourth quarter of a game that was had been over for three and a half hours yeah and i was like why did you waste that play i just to get on the scoreboard but yeah i don't know everything outside the game was great and it was it was a, it's a good memory for the most part uh so at that point uh missouri went on a that was the beginning of a five game losing streak that included a loss at florida home against middle tennessee i think that was homecoming think maybe i was at that game oh really that's too bad yeah high scoring they lost 45 to 51 and they should have won i I believe they had a double digit lead and basically just defense couldn't do anything couldn't stop them and middle middle tennessee just kept scoring missouri couldn't keep up uh lost to kentucky lost at south carolina uh rebounded down the stretch by going two and one with wins against Vanderbilt and Arkansas, but lost, and you're going to have to try to help me remember this game, lost 63-37 to at Tennessee. I do remember that game. Um, it was at Tennessee, and, oh, man, who was their quarterback? Josh Dobbs. Okay, Josh Dobbs. Yeah, I was going to say he's the bald guy with no yeah. no eyebrows. Correct. Uh, Josh Dobbs, um, I, if I remember correctly, Demaria Crockett had a really, really good game. Okay. Had like a few touchdowns or something, but was like the only bright spot of the game. And he was kind of coming out at that point, like was kind of an emerging young player. But I feel like, obviously, Tennessee had like 60-something points, like mm-hmm. you just said. Mm-hmm. I, like they broke some kind of record about all-purpose yards or something in the game. It was just unbelievable how bad Missouri's defense was in that game. Uh, and I don't really remember watching it as closely as I might have watched other games because it was it was hard to watch. Yeah, that, like yeah. That every single time Tennessee well. had the ball, they scored. Yeah, and that being the eighth loss of the season. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Um, beating Arkansas at the end of the season is always nice. Yeah, that was awesome, and that was a that was a pretty solid Arkansas team. Um, I I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, so that was definitely probably the high point of that season for sure. Um, just seeing them kind of get an upset win to kind of carry us into the next year. Checking my notes about this 2016 season. I think we just about covered it all. Yeah, it was it was pretty much like probably what we expected yeah. of a first year. Like a rebuild season. Rebuild season, yeah. Just kind of coming off of a really strange 2015 year, first first year for Barry Odom. I don't think anybody was too terribly surprised at a 4-8 and eight season. Yeah. Yeah, not even really close to a bowl game. I mean, Georgia game, you could say that should have been a win. Um, I think throughout the season we wished we could have gone back and played that West Virginia game over again mm-hmm. because it seemed so winnable. But 
those are that's a big ask to flip both of those games yeah or they, flip one of those in the middle tennessee game to get to yeah if you flip six and six. if you flip those you almost feel like you got to flip arkansas because it was just like right. almost not really yeah. you know if they yeah. played 10 times i don't know missouri wins that game more than two or three times right yeah that was a struggle of a season uh left quite a few question marks for the off season but you know we're looking at it as a year zero type of situation um so that brings us to 2017 and um same staff same offensive coordinator same defensive coordinator same quarterback um, a lot of returning players um uh, a now fully emerged Demario Crockett. Um, we're expecting good things from the offense, and we're expecting the defense can't get any worse. It didn't yep. get any worse. It still wasn't that good. Um, still held them back, and that became apparent right off the bat when Missouri played Missouri State and gave up 43 points uh, to an F- to a not good FCS team. 72 to 43 was the final score of that game. I remember the very first play of the game, it's like a little screen pass to Jonathan Johnson, and he just took it all the way to the end zone. Yeah, just ran and it, right looked around like, his... it looked like a video game type thing where like you have it on the lowest settings, and you can just throw a pass to anyone, and they're just going to score Just because he's so fast. Yeah. He just ran, yep. Um, I was terrified at this game. It was, it, it, was, the, it was close for a while. It really was. Way too long. <clears throat> yeah, and our defense could not stop Missouri State, who is not a historically good FCS program at all. Um, it looked like Missouri State was going to have the quarterback of the league. Yes, I thought Missouri. I was like, okay, is Missouri State really good? Even yeah. even if they are, this is this is crazy. But I I remember one play in this game where Missouri State was like in their own end zone on like a third and twenty, and they hit their some their star wide receiver for like a slant or something, and he just literally took it for like an 80 yard touchdown or just in something insane like i don't remember exactly where they were on the field but they were way back in their own territory third and long way behind the chains yeah and it went for a touchdown and i was like you have got to be kidding me yeah i yeah i do remember that and that was like at a point in the game where i was like okay it was still close yeah yeah it was like okay like you've been messing around a little bit um but you've got this third and 20 we're gonna get the ball back obviously we can score at ease or with ease Um, and i'm sure that that was you know, sometimes I think we forget that the players aren't are, are the players are human. You know, mm-hmm. and, and they're thinking this like our offense can do whatever they want. And so maybe, you know, we had some thoughts about that after the game. Like maybe the defense just wasn't there mentally and kind of thought that they could just kind of chill because the offense would would save them in this game. But the the defense did not get better. No, at not least really. at least not for the next few games. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Missouri. Um, turned around and went on their second five-game losing streak uh, in two seasons. They lost to South Carolina, Purdue, 35-3. Producer Cameron and I were at the gym working out on a Saturday morning, afternoon-ish time. And you're coming to my house that night. Yep. And... I don't actually remember that part, but we I was driving to the gym, listening to it on the radio. It was not going well. I made the conscious decision to not listen to it while we were working out. Came back and heard 35 to 3 Purdue and I was like, "What?" Yeah. Um well, 
We'll back up for a second. South Carolina game was the second one, right? Yeah. Okay, you were at my house for that one, I believe. Is that was that the game that Missouri started off pretty well? Yes. Got a field goal or something. They were they were leading in the yeah. first quarter. Debo Samuel returns the yeah, kickoff yeah. for a touchdown, and South Carolina does not look back the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Missouri maybe already had all of their points and like or something close. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they ha- maybe they were up ten to nothing or something and they were driving i think it was 10 to 0 yeah and then i remember demario crockett having like breaking off a big run mm-hmm. and then they must have turned the ball over or something and then or maybe they had to settle for the field goal and then yeah it was just debo samuel who was an incredible college player and i think is going to be a great player in the nfl if he can stay healthy yeah kickoff return and then missouri did not do anything right after yeah. that point it just completely deflated the whole game purdue game yes um so uh, add that to the curse. We're we're 0-3. <laughs> that was the curse was solidified at that point. Yeah. We, spanning two seasons. Yeah. Um, we talked about maybe picking a, a high and low moment of these seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll just say right off the bat, this Purdue game was easily the lowest point of these first two seasons for me. Um, you know, we had kind of been through what we thought was a rebuild season um, we got we started off the season horribly against Missouri State. We got destroyed by South Carolina, and now we just got beyond destroyed against yeah. a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team in Purdue. I'm like, we might not be good for a, for years. Like, we're so bad right yeah. now. I thought I thought we might have lost the locker room. You know, th- this is this the Barry Odom experiment is completely a failure at this point. I have almost lost hope for the rest of the season, and I'm fairly optimistic. <laughs> so th- this loss just completely sucked the life out of me yeah. and was a extreme low point for me. Yeah, I mean, that was the point. We're three games into the season, and I'm fully prepared to just not be that interested in the season yeah. and, like, do the thing that I do. Uh, hello, Kim Anderson, where I just watch all the games in horror and disgust. You can't look away. I was ready for that. We we are literally those kind of fans that even though the team is awful, you still will some find something to be excited about. Like you'll watch some random backup wide receiver and be like, oh, he was good. Like, I guess we have that to look forward to. Yeah. And it's the kind thing of in, The thing in basketball, it's like they're going to score at least 50 points. I just want to know who's going to score the points. Yeah, I guess, exactly. At this point. Yeah. And, I, I remember don't get that quite as much. I remember thinking in this game, like, we're not going to beat anybody. We can't score a touchdown on Purdue. We will. And I think it was at home. It was at home. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, we're not going to beat anyone in the SEC. And, yeah, and then you guys were coming over that night, and I was like, ah, just, uh, I'm so sad. Yeah, cancel whatever this get-together is <laughs> supposed to be. It's not going to be much of one at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so five-game losing streak, South Carolina, Purdue, Auburn, at Kentucky, at Georgia, scored against kentucky and georgia the kentucky game was definitely the first sign of life yeah um in what would be a rebound eventually mm-hmm. uh didn't look awful against georgia georgia an excellent team that year went to the um college football playoff won 13 games um i think drew Locks had some of his best plays of his entire career in that game and i remember seeing on social media georgia fans were impressed mm-hmm. by his performance he just threw some absolute bombs that game um and i can't even remember who he threw some of those to might have been emmanuel hall maybe i i'm not sure 
Yeah, Jamon Moore maybe. Maybe, but he had some incredible plays in that game. So then Missouri goes on a six-game winning streak. Was it after the Auburn? Sorry to interrupt you. Was it after the Auburn game that Barry Odom made his yeah, yeah, yeah. his speech? During the bye week, I think, yeah, because there was a bye between Auburn and Kentucky. He said, I am going to win here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ultimately things didn't turn out great, but the, he was right about that season. They did turn things around. Yeah. And I, th- I really do think the locker room kind of rallied after, after he did that. Mm. Uh, Six-game winning streak. Did we go to a game this season? I, I'm I'm looking at this game. Idaho, I think. Okay, yeah. They won 68-21. to 21. We went to Idaho and we went to Tennessee later in the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was that season. Um, so they rattled off some wins here. Idaho at UConn, big blowout. Florida, big blowout. A- a- all these were. Tennessee, the one we went to. Uh, Tennessee fan yelling the wrong quarterback's name the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, beat, stomped Vanderbilt on the road, and then had a really close game, but they um, beat Arkansas on the road mm-hmm. to... No, they became bowl eligible with the win at Vanderbilt. Got mm-hmm. their seventh win against Arkansas. Six-game winning streak to yeah. end the season. Crazy turnaround. I mean, just... I don't... It feels like there was a couple of moments in the Barry Odom era, and we'll talk a little bit about the other one next week, but two different seasons that were just com- completely black and white like mm-hmm. one thing they were just awful and then they were just really great and i felt like they could compete with almost anybody in the country you know and i don't know why they had those swings i don't know if there was just a lot of stuff going on in the locker room or i don't really know but and we we tried to solve those kind of mysteries at the time and i'm not sure that we were ever really able to put our put a finger on on what was happening but that the the second half of the season was really really fun yeah um you talked about the lowest point during these two seasons being the Purdue loss, and I echo everything you said there. Um, I have the four that I wrote down. Um, we've talked about three of them. Honestly, uh, the the defensive coaching situation before he ever started, Coach Cool leaving, uh, that was a low point for me just because it put so much in question. Um, that loss to Tennessee where we gave up 63 points. I didn't even remember that game, but I knew it had to have been a low point. Yeah. But the five-game losing streak, this is cheating having this as a low point, but, and spoiler alert for next episode, Barry Odom coached at Missouri four seasons. Three of those seasons had a five-game losing streak. That's nuts. And so, yeah, I mean, the Purdue game being the second game in this five-game losing streak in 2017, those have got to be my low points because, and that's cheating because it's two different things that span a total of 10 games, but um, it's just so hard as a fan when you're watching a team lose every week for five weeks to think, how, how does this team win? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of also coaching changes, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, I believe DeMonte Cross was relieved of his duties yes. halfway through the season. And I think that may have may have had something to do with the turnaround. And basically Barry Odom just took over defensive play calling duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it led to um, Coach Walters, who is still there mm-hmm. and has been 
pretty remarkable. Yeah, we heard um, a lot of good things about Ryan Walters at that time, and they put a lot of faith in him. And he's like, yeah, like I said, he's still there. Speaking of coaches leaving, <laughs> uh, Missouri was either was the team that either beat the team that caused the coach to be fired or was playing a team that had just had their coach fired for like the last five weeks of the season four weeks of the season yeah um i think florida tennessee not vanderbilt though they almost fired Derek mason right but i think he he's still there even yeah. now but florida tennessee and arkansas all had a coaching change i think right after i know for a fact uh tennessee i remember being on the way home the next morning and butch jones they yeah. announced he was gone and, and then, then Brett, Brett Belima, yeah, he yeah. he was fired on the field right. after, after that game. That's what that's what reports were. Yeah, yeah. he didn't so even get to he, <laughs> come home first. Yeah, um, that was pretty wild. Uh, that and I think that was maybe an argument that pe- that people the haters were were making against Missouri that year was that they're just destroying bad teams and maybe you're right, but and you're probably not the best team if losing to you is what gets your coach fired. Yeah. Is yeah, like the last that's another draw. indicator probably yeah. oh you lost to missouri so, on top of all this you lost to missouri yeah so things were things were fun but i definitely don't think that anybody was too sold that you know things were going to be making a, a permanent change or anything now this was uh drew lock breaking records year though right because that was josh heupel's last season at missouri so this was drew lock breaking the uh sec single season touchdowns record and uh passing for a kajillion yards am i correct i think so i don't i think that was 2018 2018 was no drew lock senior season with Derek dooley a regression they won eight games but it was a spoiler alert for next week <laughs> you, you might be right you it was right. the it was his junior year yeah we put up ridiculous numbers and that was a criticism of the offense was that yeah, you're putting up all these stats, but you're, you know, you're putting the defense right back out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is that doing to just your game flow and yeah. time of possession and all of that? Yeah. So uh, that's a high point for these two seasons for me, for sure. Drew mm-hmm. Locke just went off yeah. his junior season. And it helped that he was able to score a good chunk of 79 points against Eastern Eastern Michigan. Yeah. I think he threw like six touchdowns in the first half of that game. Yeah. <laughs> so broke records and they just got to sit for a half. Yeah. That, that is definitely something um, that we kind of just, I th- that was the thing with those records was he would just destroy bad competition. I mean, they would just go to town on those middling SEC teams or, or uh, those non-conference games they played. They would keep them in there the whole game. And he would just throw for like five touchdowns every game. So right. yeah, you're right. You're, that that definitely was the season. And then, uh, but just uh, I remember watching, uh, of course, Black Friday against Arkansas, uh, watching him actually get the touchdown. I think to Emmanuel Hall to yep. um, set the record. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool moment, and definitely a high one of the highest points, in my opinion, of the Barry Odom era. Mm-hmm. Um, so. There's one more game that we haven't talked about, and that is the bowl game in 2017 uh, holiday season against Texas. And I remember that game as the time Texas punter Michael Dixon beat Missouri single-footedly. Yeah. 
I don't have great memories about that game uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but that that was definitely that was definitely a thing. Was like well, I felt like we just lost to a punter. Yeah. Because he the things he did that game were immaculate, and you know he's probably one of the best NFL punters. Right. One of the best punters in the NFL now. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely not a fluke. Um, I've never seen a punter influence a game so much. You know, we've seen special teams horrors. We've seen great kicking performances, but a punter, uh, I'd I'd never seen anything like that. No. He was just pinning us inside the the 10 yard line every single time. And it it like in the game, it got exhausting because you're like, okay, we're getting the ball back. You know, this team's beatable. We can do this. And we're pinned at our own five yard line. No touchbacks, no breathing room, no return game, just over and over and over. And it was just like, and then of course that, uh, that was the game where you're, you went viral. Uh, um, Tom yeah. Herman. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Tom Herman, of course, does his little dance, you know, where the, the whole thing, where they're, they're all mocking Drew Locke. I'm emotional and I'm upset about losing. And so I post a video online on Twitter of, uh, just I literally just filmed my TV of Tom Herman doing his little dance of like the money bags thing that Drew Lock did earlier in the game, and I mean that I still to this day that was what the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. I still to this day will sometimes have people um, you know tweet in response to that video or favorite it or something like that. I could not like my phone was not usable for the next like 24 hours after I posted that video. It has over three million views, <laughs> three million. And, you know, I, it was just insane. I had the, the Texas punter responded to it. I had all the Texas players, like, trash-talking me. I had the entire Texas fan base, I think, sent me a tweet. And, you know, you, you can normally tell when it's a bad tweet when it, with the, by the ratio of, you know, like, comments oh, sure, to, yeah. you know. So it didn't have, to likes. Yes, yeah. it didn't have a whole lot of retweets, but it had a lot of responses. It, like, it had, like, 1,500 replies or just something insane like that and so literally just every literally every five seconds i'm getting like just this trash talk from from texas fans out of nowhere um and then uh your tweet resurfaced later yes when there was a controversy and a you know every time there's a tom herman controversy it it resurfaces and you know one time an ohio state fan like a big a big ohio state uh twitter account got a hold of it and then their whole fan base was going to town about the uh Zach Smith mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. news and Zach Smith himself responded to the tweet with a clown emoji in response about Tom Herman like a year later Oklahoma fans have grabbed it and spread it around yeah so pr- every fan base that for whatever reason hates Tom Herman has gotten a hold of it I think Bomani Jones responded to it like it, it was ridiculous <laughs> like I don't even know all the people that were interacting with that tweet at that time man, it, it was bad. It wasn't the podcast Twitter at that oh, point. Oh man, we probably would have gotten so much hate on our podcast. Like yeah, I would have felt shut bad. us down. Yeah, they, our reviews would have got flooded. We would have. We Texas fans. We'd be a victim of cancel culture. <laughs> it was true. It was truly insane. Like this, that twenty-four hours after I tweeted that, there were so many points where I just wanted to delete the tweet just so I could end the madness. But I'm like, mm, I, I, it's yeah. kind of hilarious. So yeah, you don't get one of those every day. Yeah. Oh man, what a fantastic memory to uh, cap off the 2017 Missouri Tiger football season. I wanted to beat Texas so bad. I hate Texas. Yeah, of course, another bowl matchup against a former Big 12 team. Of course, it's Texas, and they want to be back, folks. And (laughs) it's an opportunity for Missouri to say, no, you're not. 
Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that one still hurts. And they had some players like sitting out for like the draft and everything. Yep. I really think that Missouri got too high after their win their their win streak. I yeah. think they just I think they were feeling themselves a little bit and and just didn't take care of business. Well, and uh one thing that became a recurring thing of the Barry Odomero was his play or his team's performances after uh some time off, whether yep. it be break for a bowl game or a bye week or yep. to start the season. Winless in bowl games and yep, anytime they had a little bit of time, too much time to prepare, they uh, they did not perform. Uh, anything else you want to talk about about the 2016 or 2017 seasons? I think we covered it pretty well. I think so. Uh, so next week we will discuss the 2018 and 2019 seasons, which ended up being Barry Odom's undoing. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. I know it feels weird to, to stop in the middle of this story, but... Yeah. But like I thought we might, we rambled on a lot. We found a lot of things, a lot of talking points. So yeah, I, I think it, it's good that we split it up. Yeah, it's fun to reminisce, even though it's uh, some disappointing memories. Yeah, a lot of stuff you just kind of like, oh, yeah, that happened. A lot, a lot of those a lot of those moments. That tweet. <laughs> I knew I was going to tell that story at yeah. some point in the podcast. I, but did, I didn't write it down. I didn't even think no, about it. No, I didn't either. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yeah, that happened. I, I that was the, That's one of the first things I think of when I think of that bowl game was like, oh, yeah, that was interesting. But um yeah you can uh, find us on on uh on the podcasts on the on the google podcast the apple podcast spotify um you can tweet at us on twitter at mizzou sports pod and you can email us at missouri sports pod at gmail.com and we're on youtube and we're on instagram and please give us a rating i already said all that earlier so you can just uh enjoy this episode thank you all for listening tune in for part two next week we'll see you next week